to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. We're here today to talk about the epistle reading for the second Sunday after Epiphany, which in the three-year lectionary is 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. Yeah, do you want me to read that now, Will? Please do. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Here ends our reading. Great. Thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. Let's talk about verse 12 to begin. It, verse 12 uh, is probably the most misunderstood, or at least the verse that's most prone to being misunderstood in this section, because it certainly seems on the surface as if Paul is saying here that anything is lawful, right? He says, all things are lawful for me. And so when we first hear this, we might be inclined to think that there isn't anything that we could do then that would be somehow out of step with the law or anything that we could do that would be unlawful. (laughs) However, that clearly must not be what Paul means here because the rest of the section talks about sexual immorality, right? Yeah. And the section just before this, if people want to go look at 1 Corinthians 6, um, just before this section has a whole list of things that people doing bad things and all that stuff. So he, He's not saying that it doesn't matter what you do, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of weird. He says, all things are lawful for me, but this qualifier is very good, but not all things are helpful. Mm, right. So that we have to think about, okay, so some things are more helpful than others, but that still doesn't answer the question about all things being lawful. Oh, okay. Well, some are more helpful than others. Right. But um, I think a big point in, in verse 13, where he starts talking about food, and then he talks about sexual behavior. So food, no, that's not important. Don't worry about that. But mm-hmm. sexual behavior is. And one thing we really have to keep in mind is if not all things are helpful, then we have to consider that some things that we do can be spiritually damaging. Right. And that so that qualifier is really bigger than what it first comes off as. Right. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's that was my other big question here. Verse 13 uh, might also need some clarification here. It, it's, it seems a little bit disjointed compared with verse 12. Because you have this thing about all things being lawful, but then he randomly starts talking about food here. 
but you're you're saying that verse 13 is meant to somehow qualify what's said in verse 12 it is he's he's building he's building an argument here okay and the first point is that you know think about the law and if, mm-hmm. and and remember this is the new testament church coming out of the old testament um religion right that had a lot of law components to it mm-hmm and here he's addressing one of them right away in verse 13, uh, the dietary restrictions. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, that's not important. But mm-hmm. these other things are important. Right, okay. Okay, and can be spiritually damaging. And we need to, you know, glorify God uh, in our bodies. Right. He's not just giving us license to what we want to. He's saying, no, the, so we kind of have to look at the law in a, in a few different ways, which, which we will. But he's not saying do what you want to. Some things are helpful, some things aren't. Mm-hmm. We've been freed from the consequences of the law, but that doesn't mean that as God's children, we just do what we want to. That's not helpful. Right. And so he's defining some of them. And again, if you if you if you jump back up a bit in in First Corinthians um, chapter six, uh, he has a whole list of things that we should and shouldn't be doing. Right. Right. So, so if we're going to say that the all things in verse 12 is qualified in some way, what sort of things fall into that category that he's talking about here of things that are lawful, but might not be helpful? Yeah, I, I, a lot of it seems to center on the idea of the religious laws. Okay. So can we, should we discriminate between religious laws and civil laws and moral laws that a good time to bring that in? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about that. <clears throat> so, okay. So in the old Testament, God was the governor. Mm-hmm. Like it was a theocracy. God gave the people do's and don'ts. Right. And, and we can say they fell into three categories just for our ease of understanding. There were civil laws um, about what would happen if someone harmed a neighbor or murdered someone or, um, you know, damaged uh, someone's, some, something from someone's flock or damaged or injured a pregnant woman. There are all sorts of civil type laws. There were also ceremonial laws that had to do with the worship life of God's Old Testament people. Mm-hmm. And then there were, there were moral laws. And, and here, what he's bringing up in 1 Corinthians 6, are, are part of the moral law section. Okay. Now, the best place, if you want to find moral, the moral laws, is the Ten Commandments. Right. Now, granted, the commandment about honoring the Sabbath day, that that's linked a bit to um, to the Old Testament. Well, it's quite strongly, but uh, Luther puts a good spin on that. We should fear, love, and trust God that we do not despise preaching in his word. Mm-hmm. So if our life situation meant we could only worship God on a Wednesday, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's lawful. Okay. okay. So so if we if we separate civil law from ceremonial law, from moral law, He's talking about some of the civil law stuff here and some of the moral law. And and I think we can throw in some of the religious aspects easily. Uh, and there's another section of scripture that addresses that a little from Paul that addresses that a little more clearly. You know, Jesus said, you know, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for man. Mm-hmm. Jesus, as he was engaging in ministry, was sort of breaking down some of that structure. Be careful here. He was breaking down a lot of the additions that people had put on the structure, right, and showing it for what it was really meant to be, right, right. 
it's it's good that you bring up that verse because that mirrors verse 13 here pretty closely. So he said the Sabbath uh, is made for man, um, right? Not man for not the Sabbath. Right. And here he says food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. You have kind of similar language here. You do. They they go together. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And so um, kind of using the categories you just described then. So when he says all things are lawful for me, he's not saying that any part of the moral law uh, can't be transgressed, right? We still are bound to keep the moral law. That's not I, something we've been free yeah. from. Now, this is kind of a modern way of looking at the Old Testament laws on the one hand, but the Bible bears it out as, as, we, as we see the New Testament growing, the New Testament people growing in the faith, we see the Old Testament way of engaging in religion and having a spiritual life. We see that fall away. Mm. The temple worship is is past. I mean, he, when Jesus was crucified, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Right. So the the holy of holies is open. So that 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 moment, the the greatest sacrifice ever made, was when Jesus died on the cross. Mm-hmm. So it'd be wrong. To continue to make sacrifices pointing ahead to the perfect sacrifice if it has in fact already happened which we believe it has right so all right. the all the religious rules and all the worship life all the ceremonial laws they they're not they're not done away with mm-hmm. they're fulfilled right right they're fulfilled and that that's the way we need to look at at those that jesus fulfilled them no, he also right. fulfilled the civil law, and he also fulfilled the moral law. Yes, right, but in a different way, right? <laughs> well, by being and obedient, it, by being obedient to them. Yes, yes, and and by taking the punishment that we deserved upon himself. Right, right. Well, we we would say that um, the ceremonial, or, yeah, the ceremonial and the civil laws have been fulfilled in a way such that we're no longer bound by them. And right. that's where I think it, I think if we keep those distinctions in mind, verse twelve makes sense. Right. Okay. Okay. So he's talking about the things that we aren't bound by here. All these other things that he mentioned elsewhere in uh, chapter six, uh, things about sexual immorality and the things preceding the the, the verse that we read tonight. Um, these are things that pertain to the moral law, and thus those things are still binding on us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. He talks so, about in up further up in the chapter. He talks about sexual immoral, adulterers, adulterers, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revelers, swindlers. He says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are all yeah. moral things. Now, right. obviously, some of those do violate all sorts of civil laws. Right. But for the most part, the biggest thing here is these are immoral actions. Right. 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 So any anything that God has commanded us as part of the moral law. Those are things that we're still obligated to abide by. So when he he says all things are lawful for me, he's talking here more about the civil or ceremonial aspect or religious aspect, you might I, say. I think, I think that's a really safe way to, to apply this. Okay. Especially given the, the fact that that verse is, is sandwiched between uh, real harsh statements about we are, what we are to do and not do. Mm-hmm. All sorts yeah. of moral moral statements before it and after it, so it doesn't make sense to say, "Well, all things are lawful; doesn't matter what I do." He's not saying that, right? He he has this list of things we shouldn't do. Then he brings in this verse, and then he qualifies it with the food uh, statement, 
And then it goes back to some moral considerations regarding sexual behavior. Right. Now, in Lutheran circles, I have heard it said that this pertains to the adiaphora. Um, do you want to talk about that idea and maybe how it can be applicable here? Right. So an, an adiaphron is something that is neither commanded nor forbidden. Okay. So it means it's it's your call. Mm-hmm. If you want to sing during, if you want to stand during the singing of your hymns at church or sit, that's a great example. Yeah. You know, you're free yeah. to, you're free to do that. There's no command. There's no, there's no prohibition against something like that. Right. And, and then of course, um, that applies to all sorts of worship things. Yes. Where if you're a Lutheran going to a liturgical church, you might not understand that. Yeah, that, I, I see the line of Adiaphora drawn in different places for different Lutherans, right? Right. So some, and, I, I've seen some Lutherans say that everything pertaining to worship practice is Adiaphora. We have total freedom with regard to those things. And then I hear other Lutherans saying, no, there, there are some things that we should and should not do in a worship setting. Now, it, it could be that uh, maybe both of those views are not exclusive to one another in some sense, because uh, now while it does say that all things are lawful, it does say that some things are not helpful. Right. Right. Now that, so let's talk about being a member of a synod or a denomination. Yeah. Okay. So you agree to sort of go the way the group goes. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be the burr under the sandal blanket. Mm-hmm. You you're part of a group and there's a certain identity the group takes on that you try to support. And part of that is, oh, yeah, why don't we all worship the same way? That would show our identity. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's a man-imposed thing. Right. The, order of, the orders of service we use, they're, they're structured by people. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Now, we've been using them for a long time, and it's like, well, okay, we Lutherans kind of do it this way. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be part of our group, that's kind of the way you do it. Yeah. But there's flexibility within that. And then you also can't say someone's theologically wrong if they want to worship with a different liturgy or a non-liturgical style or whatever. Right. Uh, so there's freedom there. But the, the not all things are helpful line is very good because are we more concerned about ourselves and our own liberty or are we more concerned about others and what's good for them? Right. right. And Jesus would tell us to be concerned about others. Mm-hmm. And so some of that is then we we choose to do things in like fashion for the sake of uh, making our statement to the world a little clearer mm-hmm. and not having the people who come to worship with us confused. Right. Right. Yeah. And that that's another issue where I see this, you know, particular verse come up is in questions of Christian Liberty. I think we've done an episode on Christian Liberty before, but this, you know, is relevant to that discussion because there is this question of, you know, what sort of things do fall into the category of Christian liberty and which don't. And the, the denominations, uh, you know, among the spectrum in the spectrum of Christianity don't seem to agree on those things. Like I got my first two degrees from Liberty University and uh, they come from that Southern Baptist background and the sorts of things that they thought were binding on all Christians, things like no alcohol consumption like prohibitions against dancing, these sorts of things. Uh, they saw these things as part of like uh, the law, right? Right. Yeah. So where, where I, where my very simplistic definition of, of that 
is that I say that people who add to what scripture says are legalists. Okay. They add to what the Bible clearly says. Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach. Mm-hmm. The day of Pentecost. Uh, no, they're not drunk. It's too early for that. Right, right. Almost implying that they might do it later, but now it's too early. <laughs> I mean, he, he didn't say yeah. that, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and but so drinking isn't a sin, but drunkenness is. Right. Right. Honest. So, an, a legalist adds to what the Bible clearly says, and the idea of, of of alcohol consumption. Well, the Bible talks about that. Right. It's not it's not touted as a sin. So. Someone, and I'm not talking political, I know these labels are used politically, I'm not talking political jargon, mm-hmm. but someone who's a bit of a liberal, they take away from what scripture says. Mm-hmm. So contrast that, you have the legalist who adds to scripture, you have the liberal person who takes away from scripture. Right. And then you have what we and what I have always tried to be is a conservative theologically, mm-hmm. maintain what the Bible says. Right work hard to not add to it and not detract from it. Right. And that's not always easy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's the goal. That's the goal. So we have to make sure then that we don't have our man-made laws. And Jesus talked a lot about that with the Pharisees. You you add on to laws. You, you put a, a burden on people that you yourselves can't bear mm-hmm. because they were legalists. Right. Right. Yeah. And th- this is something that, I think we Lutherans are accused of pretty often being legalistic. And in some, in some senses that might be um, true in, in some cases, but I think people, if they come to a conservative, you know, confessional Lutheran service, they'll see um, some sorts of restrictions that we place on how we do worship, whether it be things like closed communion or uh, things of this nature that other Christian denominations don't have. And they see that as, being legalistic do you want to talk about that well, close I mean close well yeah I, I i don't think we are legalistic i think some of our congregations probably are mm-hmm. uh, but theologically we're not the close communion is a great example um that i've had many discussions with um with people over the years on that topic uh give me about 40 minutes and i'll teach you all the <laughs> all the bible references that talk about that yeah. And and there's certain pastoral care that should take place when administering communion. Right. So I don't see that as a legalism. I see it as an, as applying scripture in a pastoral way. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. And that and that so how do you apply scripture in a pastoral way without becoming legalistic? Well, this part of verse 12, not all things are helpful. Mm-hmm. That 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 ends up being a very good guideline for people. You can see people engaging in harmful behavior and they think it's okay to do it. Right. Yeah, but whom are you helping or whom are you hurting? Right. That's what you need to right. consider. So. Right. That's really helpful. And I, I think that's a charitable way of looking at a lot of the more traditional Christian denominations is that um, even though they might have like sort of guidelines in place, whether it be for worship practices or, you know, these other things that we've discussed, um, they're doing it because they think it's the most helpful thing to do. Right. Right. That that's putting the, the best construction on it. Yeah. And, and to add restrictions and and say, thus saith the Lord when the Lord hasn't spoken, well, that that's not right. 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 And I see this even in the context of um worship practice as far as more liturgical forms of worship and less liturgical forms. The people I know who are really invested in let's call it like a, a high church 
form of worship or they're committed to some particular setting of the divine service or something like that. They do these things because they think they're the most helpful modes of worship that we, we have. Right. And um, perhaps there are some congregations where this strays into a, a kind of like liturgical legalism, but at least in the, in the company that, that I keep um, most people frame it in terms of being helpful. They want the liturgy to be full of scripture, right? Uh, they want the things that we sing and the things that we say in, in the context of a worship service to point us to back to the Bible, to the word of God. Right. And so that's usually the justification I hear for using these forms of worship. Right. And and that's the point you, you get, you get scripture, you put, I mean, most of our liturgical elements are simply elements of scripture. Yeah. Put to music. Yeah. So it is a good idea to get that scripture message in the minds of the people. Mm -hmm. That's important. But then to say, well, you have to do it this way because I think it's the most helpful. Then you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Paul, I'm going to read that. There's a verse in Colossians 2. Paul again. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Okay? Mm -hmm. So there he's addressing the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament. Right. right. They're, they're gone. And you have the uh, vision that Peter gets, take and eat and all that stuff uh, to think about. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So here he's talking about the the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament and the worship guidelines of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Let me read it again. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, mm -hmm. which is talking about the Old Testament um, dietary laws and religious laws. Right. Then he says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And there, of course, gets back into the idea that Christ fulfilled these things. Right. When he's born, you can say he fulfills the civil requirements or the civil law that was, was running the Old Testament people. Mm -hmm. His birth was the reason God kept them distinct and separate. Mm -hmm. right. So the civil law is fulfilled the moment he's born. Mm. The ceremonial law is fulfilled the moment he sheds his blood, mm. whether it be through the beatings or on the cross. Right. His passion. Because all the Old Testament sacrifices were, as verse 17 in Colossians 2 says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Hmm. He fulfills civil law with his birth, ceremonial law with his death. With his actions while he was alive, he fulfilled the, the requirements of the moral law. Right. And then dies taking the punishment that we have deserved and all people deserve by not following whether it was ceremonial, civil, or moral. Right. But right. the moral law stays, and Jesus supported the moral law. Uh, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. That Those are the two objectives. Right. And that then would include being morally responsible and loving towards your neighbor. Right. This is a, this is a good segue into the last thing we wanted to talk about tonight. So what what is it about— Can I, can I just finish that reading that Colossians verse before we go on? Yeah, yeah, please. Okay. So he says, these are a shadow of things to come and the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together, through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. 
If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. <laughs> Which takes us back to the First Corinthians 6, where basically that's what he's talking about is, is the indulgence of the flesh. Right, right. So um, good, good strong words from Paul in Colossians 2, starting at verse 16. Yeah, certainly. Now, th- sorry for the interruption, but we'll go back to where you were. No, right. So I was just going to say, so you mentioned the fulfillment of the civil and ceremonial law. Uh, what is it about the moral law that even though it's been fulfilled in Christ through his perfect righteousness, why is the moral law still binding on us when the ceremonial law and civil law isn't? What What is the role of the moral law in the Christian life today? I think verse 12 of our text that last part of it says it very clearly, but not all things are helpful. Mm. So first off, you have to remember that God loves everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. And God, God wants his people to demonstrate his love towards others. Right. And God doesn't want his children hurt. Right. And God wants family respected. And all these things fall under the, the moral law. Right. But there's another component to it that we should really bear in mind. Luther made the comment, whatever you fear, love, and trust is your God. Mm. So some of these moral things, the more we do them, the more we love to do them, the more we love to do them, the more we want to do them, and then the more we do them. Yeah. And they end up being the things that we fear, love, and trust more than God. Right. So not only are these some of these things harmful to our, our neighbor, but they're also harmful and not just, not just body, but also spirit, but they can also be harmful, not just to our bodies, but also to our spirits. Right. And that ultimately is why Christ died is to forgive us our sins so that our spirits would be with him for eternity. Right. And as we're drawn away and start to love other things more than God, well, that's not spiritually helpful. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's another component to consider in the moral law. One how we treat others, and two, what these things do to us and our devotion. Right, right. Often when we talk about kind of the Lutheran distinction between law and gospel and what we mean by those things, the law can often become almost villainized or portrayed as if it's this bad thing, right? The gospel is kind of like overcome or overshadowed the law. The law condemns you and the gospel saves you, right? Which, which is true. (laughs) You know, that's, that's, that's part of the problem, right? Is yeah, the law, the law never saves anybody. Right. You know, as the hymn put it, it was a false misleading dream, which God's word had given, God's law had given. Mm -hmm. We can't save ourselves for law. There's no one righteous, no, not one. Right. Um, You have fallen from faith. You who believe you are justified by works of the law. So it, it, it's, it's a heavy thing, this law, but it's also a, beautiful gift. Right. And this is where the uses of the law comes in, right? I think this is what you were getting at just a little bit ago. Right. Yeah. I mean, so the curb mirror guide, right? Mm -hmm. The law is there to, it's like curbs on the street. It keeps the cars from driving up on the sidewalk. Um, Part of God's law curbs the brute man. Don't kill, don't steal. Mm -hmm. Honor your parents, all that stuff. 
Right. Uh, it's also a mirror in that it shows us, you know, I would not have known what coveting was unless the law had told me do not covet. Mm-hmm. Um, so the law shows us our sin. When we look in a mirror and we think about God's law, well, it, it condemns us. Right. Which, which then, of course, the law being a handmaid to the gospel, the second use of the law drives us to the cross. Right. Where we receive the forgiveness which Christ won for all. But then as forgiven, redeemed people, we have what we call the third use of the law, the guide. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you, you want to go fishing. And one time I went to a fishing camp way up north and uh, there was a native guide who took us out to show us where the fish were. Hmm. And he knew where the fish were. Yeah. Okay. Caught lots of fish. And so too with, with God's law as a guide, it shows us how to live. Yeah. And the new right. Christian, you know, do we pass that cross unheeding, breathing no repentant vow? No, we, we pass the cross. Okay, Christ, you've given your life for me. Um, how can I serve you? How can I serve others? Show me. Mm-hmm. Then the moral law that comes through us so clearly in the Bible shows us how we are to live. Right. And you want to sum it up? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, and, and your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Which means yeah. then that you put their needs above yours. Right. Right. And so in some sense, even though the law does these things, the law does condemn, it shows us our sins. It also um, is what tells us how to live a rightly ordered life, right? Yep. It's yeah, there and for a good. It and that's the balance. What, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it is, it is a good thing, right? In that sense, we don't want to say that the law is, you know, something undesirable. Like it's good to live a well-ordered life. It's good to you know, know how to do that. Yeah, you know, summing it up in love, Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, your mind, your neighbors, yourself, you need some guidance. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Right. And and the same Holy Spirit who calls you to faith is the same one who motivates you to live a life that's a bit different and other-centered. Right. Yeah. And hence the moral law remains. Yes. Right. And the, and the consequences uh, of disobeying the moral law can be spiritually harmful. Right. Right. Yep, exactly. So just to kind of sum it all up here then. So verse 12 here, uh, when Paul says all things are lawful for me, he's not talking about the moral law here. He's not saying that we can transgress the moral law anytime we'd like. He's saying that we've been freed from the restrictions of the civil and ceremonial law. And even then, even then in matters of Adiaphora or or these religious things, uh, there are still things that are you know, more helpful than others, even those matters of Christian freedom. Right. Yeah. And that, and that's difficult sometimes within the confines or that's, that's funny. I was going to say the confines of Christian freedom, but maybe, <laughs> but maybe that's the point. We, we are free to serve. Right. We're not free to do whatever we doggone well, please. Right. We're free to serve. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. So maybe we can have this oxymoronic type statement. It talks about the confines of Christian freedom. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I should write a book. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Any other uh, concluding thoughts before we wrap up tonight? No. Uh, Well, maybe one. When we read scripture, it's God leading us, guiding us, teaching us. First and foremost, about our being redeemed by the shed blood of his son. That's the big thing we have to hang our hat on. That's where we live. Mm-hmm. And then everything else we read in scripture is helpful to us and benefits us as we try to determine how God would have us live. Right. 
Good. Do you have a prayer to close us off then, Will? Yes, I do. Okay, then we pray. Almighty and eternal God, governor of all things in heaven and on earth, mercifully hear the prayers of your people and grant us your peace in our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.